Would you take your Bibles and open them to 2 Kings chapter 25? 2 Kings chapter 25 in a Bible study that I've entitled The Freedom That Forgiveness Gives. The Freedom That Forgiveness Gives. Now, a number of years ago, I read a story of a family in a small town in Spain. And a man and his teenage son had a very difficult and painful argument. And the falling out was so deep and so difficult that these feelings of bitterness and unforgiveness were on both sides. So the son, he decided to take off. He wasn't going to live with his dad any longer. But it didn't take long for the father to regret the way that he had handled the situation, how he had treated his son. And so he set out to find his boy and he searched for him day and night. And after several months of not being able to find his son, he, as a last-ditch effort, he took an advertisement in a newspaper. Or today, he'd probably put a Facebook ad or a Google ad out looking for his boy. And this is what he wrote in the newspaper. Dear Paco, meet me in front of the newspaper office at noon. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. By 12 o'clock, by noon the next day, there were over 800 men named Paco, gathered outside the building, and each one of them was looking for the forgiveness of his father. Now, whether that is a true story or not, I do know this is true. There's a desperate need for forgiveness today. There's a desperate need to see forgiveness flow in our lives and in our families. Families are broken Marriages are dissolved, painful circumstances have happened, separations, divisions, difficulties, and there is always the influence with each hurt, each difficulty, each offense, there's always the influence of the devil to hold on to bitterness, to hold on to anger, to hold on to resentment, and to establish you, to establish me in a place of holding on to unforgiveness, and that's simply not the heart of God. Resentment, anger, bitterness, even an unforgiving spirit continues to this day to weaken the church and divide the family and erode the effectiveness of our lives. More damage, more ongoing pain, more ongoing separation is rooted in the sin of unforgiveness. And yes, the Bible declares unforgiveness is sin. I mean, when you consider, for you and I, when we consider all that God has done for us, In our worst condition, when we were at our lowest, not our best, when we were still yet dead, the Bible says, and our trespasses and our sins, Jesus died for us. Well, he put it this way, Jesus did in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. I'm going to read to you from the New Living. It says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Imagine that in a place of unforgiveness, puts you and me at odds with our Father. Can I say that forgiveness is a non-negotiable for the believer? Not up for debate. Nothing that we can silence the clear teachings of the Scripture. It's non-negotiable. If you're taking notes, let me give you a few things. We'll have a few things to jot down today. But let me give you a few things about the non-negotiableness of forgiveness. Number one, forgiveness is commanded by God. Obedience is not optional. Forgiveness is commanded by God. According to Mark chapter 11, verse 25, it says, but when you are praying, first forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against. Imagine that. That among us today, maybe watching online, live, that among us today, 
There are those that are holding a grudge. Jesus says, hey, forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. It's a command. Number two, when you and I forgive, it reflects the image of Jesus Christ. I mean, very few things in the life of the believer reflect the love and mercy and grace of Jesus like forgiveness. Listen, isn't it true? In order to extend forgiveness, you would have had to something to forgive. In order to extend forgiveness, you have a hurt, a pain, a wrong. And isn't one of the main reasons why we don't forgive, isn't one of the main reasons that might even come out of our mouths is, but he wronged me. And it's true, you have been wronged. It's the only way you really you can extend forgiveness is to acknowledge the wrong. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 23, in verse 32, there were two others, both criminals. They were led out to be executed with them, and finally they came to the place called the skull. All three were crucified there, Jesus on the center cross and the two criminals on either side. And Jesus said, and, and, and we read through this, And I think we forget sometimes the significance of exactly what's happening. But consider Jesus having been beaten close to death, as you'll see and be reminded on Good Friday, scourged, beaten close to death. Most people died during the scourging, never made it to the cross. Jesus endured it all, hanging on the cross. And then the last few breaths of his life, the last few words out of his mouth was these, were these. Father, forgive these people because they don't know what they're doing. Thirdly, when you and I forgive, it breaks down strongholds in our lives. Forgiveness breaks down strongholds. When you and I forgive, we experience healing to our hurting hearts And forgiveness is the antidote to bitterness. They can't exist together. You can't be both bitter and forgiving in the spirit at the same time. Obedience to forgive brings freedom and enables one to start over in a relationship by the grace of God. It opens the door to freshness and newness. I mean, the entire story of Joseph. You know, more time is spent describing the life of Joseph, the redemptive true story of forgiveness and overcoming wrong after wrong after wrong. More time is devoted to the life of Joseph than to creation in the book of Genesis. And I think the proportion is there for a reason. The entire story of Joseph reflects the beauty of breaking down strongholds. Number four, forgiveness loosens the stranglehold of guilt in the offender. It blesses the offender. No longer will the person have to rehearse their sin, carry it unforgiven by the person. They are released by your love and kindness. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 7 in the NLT says, So God can always point to us as examples of the incredible wealth of his favor and kindness toward us. Forgiveness brings freedom to everyone involved. Remember, we forgive because God forgives us. And this same forgiveness that we received is undeserved and unearned. And it's what we owe others and functions to relieve the oppressive burden that we know as guilt. It helps to remove a person's guilt from their minds and their hearts. If Jesus had not extended kindness and forgiveness to sinners, we would forever exist in the stranglehold of guilt ourselves. 
We're not going to develop this, but let me lay out something for you that often is confused when we're talking about the topic of forgiveness. And it's important because by now some of you are really wrestling with where we are in the Bible study. You're really wrestling with the reality of receiving the truths of God's word to extend forgiveness. And let me just say, many times we make a mistake by confusing forgiveness with reconciliation. And it goes something like this. Well, pastor, you don't understand. I've already forgiven, but nothing has changed. Or, pastor, I've already forgiven, but they continue to sin. Or, I have forgiven, but I still have all of these feelings in my heart, and I, I, don't, I just don't think I've forgiven properly. Otherwise, I wouldn't be feeling the way I'm feeling. Listen, this is so important. Forgiveness is an act. Healing and rec- reconciliation is a process. They're not the same. Forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things. Forgiveness, you want a definition? It's very simple. When you and I forgive, we release someone from their debt against us. We release them from the debt that they owe us. So so the idea of if they've wronged us, the idea is that they owe some type of restitution to us. Even our court system understands this. And so for us to act in forgiveness by the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit, we are releasing them from their debt. And yet, reconciliation doesn't happen immediately. Because reconciliation requires something on the other party. Reconciliation requires repentance. Isn't that how it worked with you and Jesus? (laughs) It was your repentance that opened the door to enjoy and receive forgiveness. And a lot of times we confuse because, you know, you forgive, but then they continue to sin. So what's the remedy when there's a continual sin against you? You continually, say it out loud, forgive. Choice after choice. It becomes a lifestyle for you. And you go, but Ed, I mean, forgiveness should should lead to reconciliation. You're right. So we need to pray for repentance. We need to pray for a changed life. God in no way obligates you or me to be under any form of abuse. So forgiveness doesn't lead a person to submit yourself to abuse, to to be manhandled, to be hurt, to be continually destroyed. But forgiveness always opens the door for reconciliation. Forgiveness is an act. Reconciliation and healing is a process. That's why you can forgive and hurt at the same time. It's sort of like a wound. You know, when you call 911, the paramedics arrive, they get every, get you all ready and prepared and all bandaged up to take you where? Home? They don't take you home. They take you to the hospital because there's more care and concern. There might be a deeper issue. And in the spiritual realm, it's the same. So because we're not going to develop that, we use a pamphlet that if you email me, I will respond to your email. Give me a day or two. I will respond to your email with a link where you can download this PDF. We didn't, I didn't print any and bring them with me. It's easier for you just to download. So if you want to be ready, I'm going to give you my email address. And you can email me and say, I was at Rocky Mountain. You gave that forgiveness pamphlet. And I'll just copy and paste the same link over and over again. So you can print it out and really go in depth. It's very powerful. And I wish we would have had this pamphlet in the beginning of the church, but we didn't pick it up until a few years ago. It was a brother uh, in a Calvary in San Diego that wrote it, and uh, we give them out literally by the hundreds every month. So ready? You can email me at Pastor Ed, P-A-S-T-O-R-E-D, at Calvary Aurora, 
C-A-L-V-A-R-Y-A-U-R-O-R-A.org. And that comes directly to me. And just remind me of the pamphlet. I'll, re- I'll respond to it with the links. And, and I know that God, is, especially, maybe it's you, maybe it's someone that you have in your life. He does such a great, thorough job on this topic. But for us tonight, I want to draw your attention to this man by the name of Jehoiachin. We come to a beautiful picture of forgiveness and what it means in our lives and how it works. You see, by this time in 2 Kings, Jerusalem had, been, had fallen to the second to the last king of Judah. And he's been in prison now for 37 years. And it was during this time that King Nebuchadnezzar, it's about the same time that King Nebuchadnezzar declared his great power and his great possessions. Daniel chapter 4, verse 30. Remember the king spoke and said, Is this not great Babylon the, that I built for a royal dwelling with my mighty power and for my honor? And with those words still in his mouth, remember, he became an animal. God would not deal with that because he doesn't share his glory with anyone. And God gave him the mind of a beast and he took everything away from him. It was in his stead, his son, evil Merodach, which is an interesting name to name an evil king. So evil Merodach becomes king and he rules in his place. At the end of seven years, you Bible students remember, at the end of seven years for Nebuchadnezzar, he comes out of it and praises God. And God restores him to the place of leadership and restores him to the throne of Babylon where he discovers the evil of his son and what his son did. And he throws him into prison. And it's there that we pick up in verse 27 of 2 Kings 25. It says, It came to pass in the 37th year of the captivity of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, In the twelfth month, on the twenty-seventh day of the month, that evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the year that he began to reign, released Jehoiachin, king of Judah, from prison. Nebuchadnezzar dies. His son comes back to power. He releases him. And he spoke, notice verse 28, kindly to him. He gave him a more prominent seat than those of the kings who were with him in Babylon. And so, verse 29, Jehoiachin changed from his prison garments He ate bread regularly before the king all the days of his life. And as for his provision, there was a regular ration given him by the king, a portion for each day, all the days of his life. So immediately the new king, after he too was in prison, he pulls King Jehoiachin out of prison and gave him a kingship higher than all the ones in the Babylonian kingdom. And for a moment, let's just consider being in prison for 37 years, not many are able to relate to that in a specific way. But many I have found that 37 years of bondage, 37 days of bondage, 37 months of bondage is pretty common in the church of Jesus Christ. It's common among believers. For this brother, he's literally been in prison 37 years, day in, day out. And I have to ask myself, as I kind of put myself in that place in the scriptures, at what point would I have just given up? I mean, what point I would have just given up hope? At what point I would have just said, you know what? This is my life. I need to make the most of it. And maybe it was in the fifth year. Maybe it was in the tenth year. But whatever point he comes in his mind to deal with the difficulty of imprisonment, he just comes to the conclusion, this is my life. Maybe even feeling like this is what he deserves. And yet he was released. It says here he was released in verse 27. 
You know, I've seen over the years how people just get used to their captivity. They get used to their sinful habits. They get used to their flesh. They're not enjoying the freedom that God gives them in salvation. And in the context of forgiveness, I've met a few, and I'm sure you have as well, I've met a few that have made resentment and bitterness their friends. They just become used to it. You know, bitterness is an interesting thing. Everybody notices it except the person that's bitter. Everybody can tell. And those that are captivated by bitter put up a great defensiveness. When in many cases, it's very obvious to everyone else. Sadly, some people would rather stay in their captivity than enjoy the freedom that God has given to you in his love and his grace. Remaining captivity is not what Jesus is all about. In him, there's newness and there's forgiveness. And here's the thing. If we can't forgive, or if we don't forgive, we can't move forward. If we don't forgive, we can't move forward. You could put it this way. Unforgiveness equals being stuck. Being in bondage. Imagine that. The freedom that we have in Christ stuck in the bondage of unforgiveness. And it's here in our text that we observe the king of Babylon. He's not even a believer showing more forgiveness than most give to others. And there are six things I want to show you about his release that will minister to our hearts today as we consider the beauty of forgiveness. Number one, I want you to notice that Jehoiachin was released. He was brought out by the king. The king didn't send a message. He didn't even send a servant to release him. He himself released. It says in the year that he began to reign, verse 27, he released Jehoiachin, the king of Judah, from prison. He didn't send a messenger. He didn't send a a servant to release him. He chose to do it himself. And that's what God has done for us. He came to us personally to receive us and to forgive us and to release us. The creator of the universe came to you and to me. That's how special you are to God. That's how special you are in Jesus Christ. How special God has placed upon, what a special value God has placed upon your life and mine by the blood of Jesus Christ. All of the rotten acts of your life, all of the horrible words, all of our sins have been buried and washed away, blotted out, forgiven by Jesus Christ. John chapter eight, verse 36 says this. If the sun sets you free, you'll be sort of free, maybe kind of, sort of one day. No way. The sun sets you free. You will be free indeed. It's the greatest forgiveness you can, the greatest freedom you can find is by the forgiveness of Jesus. See, here, Jehoiachin was brought out. Number two, Jehoiachin was also comforted. Notice he was comforted in verse 28. He spoke kindly to him. Forgiveness brings a kindness back into our hearts, a sweetness, a gentleness. I'm sure 37 years of imprisonment left Jehoiachin discouraged and depressed without hope. But it was the king of Babylon that came to encourage him and give him hope. It's the same way that God lifts our heads. He's the lifter of our heads. He's the very essence of our hope. Hope is found in a person, not a circumstance. Hope is found in a relationship. You see, 
when we are forgiven and set free, we no longer have a reason to hang our heads. We no longer have a reason to condemn ourselves. We're free. Listen, never underestimate, church, grasp this, never underestimate the power of a kind word. I mean, wouldn't you agree that the world needs kindness? Just to be demonstrated, if there's ever kindness to come uh, to a world of which we live, it's going to come through believers. You know, our world is just upside down. You guys heard what happened in Denver today, right? We have a school on our property. And I woke up this morning to a text and a phone call right before our staff meeting that the enti- every school district in the Denver metro area closed today. Half a million kids stayed home from school today because somebody that was infatuated with Columbine, which unfortunately another day's coming up now 20 years this Saturday, but somebody infatuated uh, with Columbine uh, arrives in our city, publicly buys a gun, and then goes into hiding. And it completely threw the entire city into a place of fear and concern. And then on top of that, unfortunately, they find her at the base of Mount Evans with a self-inflicted gunshot wound. You know, you're just thinking as she commits, what, what was going on in her head? And multiply that times a thousand by ten thousand. And we sent our kids home. You know, we told, we told our parents and the kids, you know, we're, we're not going to be a collect. We're, we don't know what's going on. We don't know how, but we won't have a collection of kids in our city that you could Google where all the schools are closed. Are there any, pri- we won't. We sent all the kids home. And I was talking to one, texting with one of our teachers as she was super emotional this morning. It was very painful for her to, to talk to the kids, to talk to the parents, to, to consider that fear had gripped the city and that somebody could actually do great damage. And, 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 it was, and, and what really had captivated her was now tomorrow when the kids come back, the kind of discussions in ministry. I, I grew up in a difficult time many years ago, but this isn't the kind of stuff we faced. I mean, what's happening in our world requires the presence of the Holy Spirit to speak kindness and goodness and gentleness into people's lives. Not, not just in the realm of the lost, but among us as believers. This is a great time to practice the church of Jesus Christ. When we gather together, this is really practice time for the reality of when we leave this building. You know, the church right now, we're the church gathered, but in a few moments, we're going to be the church scattered into a world that so desperately needs to not only hear kindness, but experience kindness. And here the Babylonian lost king comes to Jehoiachin, and perhaps, perhaps, he's speaking kindly because he knows what it's like to be in prison. You know, all of us have a past to some degree. Some of our pasts are worse than others. But we can't forget where we came from. We can't just kind of stand in judgment on a broken, dark, messed up world and say, well, you know, it's just, just let them go to hell in a handbasket. No, it's God's heart that they go to heaven. It's God's heart that their lives are transformed. And I, for one, am grateful that God didn't give up on me because I would have been one of those that you wrote off. You look at him and go, I don't know, man, that guy, what a waste of a life. And indeed, I was wasting my life. But God had a plan for my life. And God has a plan for the lives of those that we are coming across. So don't underestimate kindness. Kindness is so good. 
It's so wonderful. The world needs more. So the king, he comes to him, he speaks kindness. In, in forgiveness, it's such a beautiful picture because when God forgives us, he speaks kindness in our lives. Thirdly, we find in the text, in verse 28, that Jehoiachin was exalted by the king. Not only did the king of Babylon speak kindly after releasing him, but he also restored to his life that which had been stolen by the enemy. He restored to him what was lost. I love this. I mean, are you overwhelmed by resentment and by bitterness today? Do you think your life is over? Do you think it's impossible to rebound from the mess that you're in? Friend, not only does God forgive you, but he also restores you and will do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can think or ask. That's the God that we serve. That's the king. And we, sitting here with all that we've received, choose to withhold forgiveness on our we choose bitterness. We choose. Now, tracking along in the message, I know that some of you have been hurt deeply. And you know, you might be a little upset with me or you might be arguing with me in your head. You know, that happens all the time. And actually, it's good. If you're talking to me, you're talking with me in your head, that's good. Because you're listening to me and you're responding. And that's a good thing. But but I'm not speaking to you as, you know, a guy that hasn't been hurt myself. I'm not speaking to you like, you know, a guy that hasn't had to put something like this into practice. Or you're not speaking to a guy that like, you know, doesn't have to be challenged by this on a regular basis. Because your response is, well, you know, if you just understood my situation, Ed... If you just understood, if you gave me five minutes to just, I just let me tell you what I've been through, you will give me a pass. Well, I wish I had the five minutes to sit down with you and hear your story and, and pray with you, but I'm grateful that the power of God does not require me to understand what you've gone through, but rather just to acknowledge that God knows your hurt and it's not forgotten and it was wrong. And it was painful. And it wasn't right. And that's why forgiveness is needed. It's hard. It's impossible. With, with God, all things are possible. But in our own strength, we continue to limp along, angry and bitter. That's not from the Lord. Forgiveness is so overwhelming and so breathtaking because God forgives us and he restores to us. Remember Jesus, he's described by the, even David, the, the psalmist, he speaks of the Lord in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. And what does he do? He restores my soul. It's a truth throughout the scriptures. Number four, we also find that Jehoiachin was clothed by the king. We see that in the text. It says he gave him a more prominent seat. And then verse 29, Jehoiachin changed his prison garments. That makes sense. We kind of read through it. It's like, this all makes sense. But he changed his clothes. He was released from prison. He was encouraged. He was shown kindness. He was given a throne. And now he's given a royal robe. You know, I guess today in our minds, you know, he had an orange jumpsuit on. No more. Take it off. You're not known as a number anymore. You have a name, you have a life, you have a future. And not only did he get clothed, but he was given royal garments. 
just as the Bible describes us, to think of God's work in our lives. He restores our nature, our integrity, our character. He takes away the garment of sadness and gives us a garment of praise. He takes away the heaviness and he gives us grace. That's what Isaiah said in Isaiah 61. It says that he gives beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And those are ours by faith. Number five, we learn that Jehoiachin was favored by the king. It says that not only did he change his garments, but he ate bread regularly before the king all the days of his life. The king didn't abandon Jehoiachin. In fact, by his invitation to eat at his table, he wanted Jehoiachin to know that they would be friends for the long haul. And that's what God does when he forgives us. He draws us to himself in relationship. He doesn't let go of us, but instead draws us into his presence, into his word, into praise, into worship. Some of you, as we were worshiping, it was so beautiful, it was wonderful, just just singing to God and just being, just taking, just, it takes our breath away at times. And just even that song about, about God doing it again. I, I, I almost never can stand for that song. I've got to sit down. Because I see what God has done in my life before and knocking down amazing walls. But then I've got walls in my life right now that I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I've got to look back. Because the walls are so imposing. They block our view of faith. But, but consider this. We're so used to singing that we forget that there was a time when we didn't sing. Right? Are you guys with me? <laughs> there was a time I was listening to some really bad stuff when, before I got saved. And if I was singing that stuff, it was, well, let's just say it was nasty bad. And so we sing. I've been walking with the Lord now 28 years, I think, along those lines. I've been walking with the Lord for a long time. And, you know, kind of worship is all singing. And, and so much so, some believers, some believers, and listen, listen, you've got to hear me out on this. Because God's wanting to release a powerful work in the church in these last days. But here's what's happening. Instead of being in awe of the lyrics and the, just the presence and how what God uses music, you know what we've become? We've become critics. I didn't hear anybody amen on that, but you know. I didn't like that song. Oh, okay, let me write that down. You didn't like that song. What's your name again? Okay, okay. Oh, I didn't like, you know, he missed a chord. Ah, let me write that down. We sing it last, oh, you know, huh? Now, sing it last week. I don't like that. And then there's, I want the old songs, I want the new songs, I want these songs. Listen. Listen. I've said listen a lot, so let's just all listen to the Lord tonight. God doesn't want us to be critics. He wants us to be worshipers and to appreciate the men and women that serve us on the stage, that service the kiddos and singing with the kids. When you and I worship, when the leaders are on the stage leading us, we're worshiping to an audience of one. And so I wonder what it would be like if God then said, well, I saw your worship today. You know, because people, you might be walking out, you know, you're going to the car and you go, what do you think about worship today? Honey, well, I give it a five. Oh, a five. Well, I gave it a six. Well, what happened? And before you know it, you're just like, the whole part of what God's doing in your life has been ripped off because we've been ingrained to criticize. Whether you realize it or not, social media has changed us. 
It's changed us because in social media, in some certain, in some instances, social media has said, you know, it's created like, hey man, uh, I'm going to give my opinion on this, and I'm going to give my opinion on that, and I'm going to write my opinion on that. And not only do you give your opinion, you think we want to hear it. And so somebody will post something just to get a rise. And then you're like, man, I have to say, I'm sharing this with you for a reason. I use social media extensively in getting the gospel out in my life, but I am not on Facebook. You want to know why? I can't handle it. It stirs up my flesh. I can't handle what I see and what I read. It's just a weakness in my life. It's just better that I not go there. That I not hear some criticism. Or even the stuff that people write about me, I don't want to read it. Because if they really care about me, they'll come talk to me. They know where I'm at. If somebody really cares, they're not going to post something on Facebook about me. Call me. Now you have my email. And like, I'm going to get an email. Ed, that wasn't very nice. All right, that's fine. I'm going to, you have a complaint, send it to Eric at Rocky Mountain Calvary. You know, that's... <laughs> But I mean, the world doesn't need more critics. The Lord needs the love. I mean, the world needs kindness and love and gentleness and self-control. He needs us to take back what the enemy has stolen from you, a sweetness. I mean, think of it. We were worshiping the living God tonight. It wasn't for us to criticize or to be upset about. It was for us to humble ourselves and be broken before God and say, man, I can't believe You've given me favor. I was in prison. I was done. I resolved to give up. And when God forgives us, he puts a new song in our heart. Not only that, notice finally in number six, Jehoiachin's future was secured. Forgiveness brings security. It says in verse 30, as for his provisions, there was a regular ration given to him by the king, a portion for each day. And then notice at the end, all the days of his life. The work of God in you is a thorough, complete work. What God has begun in you, he is faithful to complete it. He will perfect that which concerns you. And what he completes, it's until the day of Jesus Christ. He's promised to never leave you or forsake you. He's promised to be with you and among us, that he inhabits the praises of his people. And so the work of God is complete. When you receive forgiveness, you have a future that is secured by God himself. The blood of Jesus Christ covers us of all of our sins. No one, nothing, Romans chapter 8 says, will snatch us out of his hands. No one and nothing, John's gospel would tell us as well. The greatest gift in our lives is that God has forgiven us. And as you're overcome by his great love and mercy for you, you just give it away. How can you not give it? Why would you keep that to yourself? You just give it away. Forgiveness that is not full as we wind down and prepare ourselves for communion. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful time to take communion as the elements are up here. I want you to know that a forgiveness, a forgiveness that is not full is not true forgiveness. When a person says, and we've heard this before, when a person says something like, well, I'll forgive you, but I'll never forget. Oh, well, thank you, thank you. That's not true, real biblical forgiveness. It's not. That's like saying, you know, okay, I'll bury the hatchet, but I'm going to leave the handle showing just in case I need to use it later. Or what does that look like in a marriage? Always bringing up the past. Always using the past. I mean, 
the argument started because the cap wasn't on the toothpaste. But before you're done, every evil thing you've ever done in the 20 years of your marriage. And now you're upset and then you storm out and you're like, and then you get to where you're going. You go, but it was just the cap on the toothpaste. And then God begins to do that work. Or you continue to be hardened toward your spouse because you keep using the past against them. And that's the problem with man, that often our forgiveness is not true and full. That's because we often imagine God as ourselves. We kind of cast God into an image of ourselves, like the Bible says we're tempted to do. And then we define forgiveness in the concept of human forgiveness. But when God forgives you of your sin, it's a total, complete forgiveness. It's never to be remembered against you again. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he separated us from our sins, God's forgiveness for you is total, it's complete. And so the question remains then, but Ed, I cannot forget. It's hard to forget. God has made our minds amazing. And I don't know about you, but as I'm getting older, I tend to forget the things I want to remember and remember the things I want to forget. And so what does it mean then to forget someone's sin? Well, it doesn't mean that it gets erased out of your mind, that you'll never have an errant memory of it or a a smell won't bring it back or passing by that house or that hospital won't remind you of the difficult. It doesn't mean that. Forgetfulness within the context of forgiveness biblically is simply this choosing not to remember and hold it against the person. Again, it's when the realm of choice. It's, for, it's tragic because the idea of I forgive you, I won't forget, all you're saying is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say I forgive you, but I'm going to hold it against you the rest of your life. And that's not forgiveness. It's tragic that our forgiveness is such that we're prone to bring it up again in the future. We're prone to throw a past. Yeah, but you did that. And yeah, but I asked you to forgive me. Yeah, but I did forgive you, but I'll never forgive. But that's not from the Lord. That's not God. I mean, he's like Jehoiachin. You get released. You're free. God speaks kindness into your life. He robes you with garments of royalty. He restores to you what was stolen. He gives you a place of prominence, an eternal, secure commitment that he gives to you where you're looking forward, pressing forward. God's forgiveness to you is complete. You've been justified. You haven't just been declared innocent. You haven't just been declared forgiven. You've become, you've been declared so innocent as though you never committed it to begin with. And it's the forgiveness of God that we fall upon when we begin to deal with that issue of condemnation. And this is a this study itself is a part of a series that I recently did that I just felt like the Lord wanted to share with other churches. And it's a series on how do I deal with my past? And how do I deal with the feelings of condemnation? How do I deal with the guilt? Because guilt is real. And God uses guilt. But it, the, the irony of God using guilt is he uses guilt to free you, not to destroy you. The devil uses guilt to destroy you and hinder you. And hold you back. But that's not from God. Remember in Romans chapter 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ. And so I I would encourage you if the past is a part of. You know you're just dealing with the past. And people are throwing the past at you. and, And all of that. There's a series of studies on our app. And I think it says free from your past. Where we just found. I just found in our own church family. That's why I shared it. In our own church family. I just seemed to be a consistent theme coming up recently. 
Because I believe God is prepping his church for great things. I believe he's cleaning house. And what I mean by that is cleaning our house, right? Judgment begins at the house of the Lord. And he's just prepping his church for a fresh outpouring of his Holy Spirit. And one of the issues that we're, one of the doors we're going to walk through is the door of forgiveness. And that's where freedom is going to come and an outpouring of strength and goodness. So if that's an issue in your life today, and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, today in a few moments you're going to be able to come up and, and take the elements of communion that are reminders. There'll be this flatbread here that reminds us of the broken body of Jesus Christ. And there'll also be a cup of unfermented grape juice that's representative of the blood of Jesus that's been shed for us, the new covenant. And it's more than just taking the elements religiously. It's, it's, it's entering in by choice of a reminder of the sufficient work of Jesus Christ in your life. And so for those of you that just this issue of forgiveness has pricked your heart, you can offer that up to him as you pray over the elements. Let me just say this. Some of you are so captivated by difficulties that you, you don't want to come up. You might say, I don't deserve, I, I, don't, I can't take communion because I'm so bad as a believer. And I would say, you feeling that? You should be first in line. That's what communion is all for. <laughs> for all of us that are so bad. And God is so good. And yet there's one, one more type of person among us, and that is a person that's never given their life to Jesus. I mean, I'm sharing with you these things of this guy, you know, you, First of all, you know, people think the Bible is not relevant. Like you just read a, you just read a two story that's a few thousand years old that spoke today. So the Bible is extremely relevant because God loves you. And he wants you to see these pictures of his love and his grace all throughout the scriptures, all throughout the Bible. The greatest story, the greatest truth that he wants you to grasp today is that through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, your sins can be forgiven today. If you'll repent and turn away from your sins, God will save you. And in that instant of salvation, then these elements will start to make sense to you. You receive forgiveness, and it just comes right through you to those around you. And so, Father, as we turn our hearts and our attention towards you, God, we know that you have much to share with us and much to show us. We just confess these weaknesses in our lives when it comes to forgiveness because None of us are perfect in this area. It's a constant battle in our lives. And we just acknowledge to you, God, our weakness in this realm, our weakness in these issues. And we confess to you, Lord, our need for you as we come to your table and we're reminded of all that you've done for us. We're reminded of the freedom you've given to us. We're reminded that there's a healing, if, if there is, you know, for, for that person that I just get sense that there's somebody's here that has forgiven and God just wants you to know the healing has already started. The healing has already started. God has done, he will fulfill his end of the bargain. You choose to align yourself with him. Listen, it's, it's a gal, it's a, it's a woman that the Lord's impressing upon me where you're just thinking in your mind, I have forgiven, but you don't think God began the healing process. God has forgiven. And God has honored you. And he has begun the healing process. Now, it's just by faith. And so you can acknowledge that when you come up to the table. You just say, oh. And maybe it was someone else too, but I know specifically for a gal that God is reminding you that he does keep his word.
and that you could trust him. And so we just offer this time. And there'll be, Lord, we just thank you for your faithfulness in our lives. Even when we're faithless, you remain faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.